Alright everyone, welcome back to this episode of Dialogue Not Division. In this sixth episode we will be covering student debt and wind power. So moving right along I wanted to start with the current issue that I wanted to talk about. So I was watching an interesting uh, video that was talking about whether or not President Biden had the authority to clear all student or federal student debt I should say under uh, his executive authority and the answer by this scholar that was in this video was a resounding yes and what was interesting is the person was saying well if he can do it within his authority he should do it why is he only going for x amount of money and one of the interesting comments i saw on this youtube video is it was something along the lines of imagine being able to wave your hand and make people's lives better and being so cold-hearted that you won't now, of course, I believe that there are almost always two sides to every issue. So I wanted to take a moment here and just to really dig deep, do some research uh, about student loans, about forgiveness and how this policies might affect and see if some of the common things that are being proposed would would actually have an effect or what effect they would have. So one of the biggest things you're seeing uh, trending on Twitter is the student loan forgiveness. Uh, a lot of the Democrats are pushing for 50k in federal student loan forgiveness uh, per person, so up to 50k. One thing that you will notice is that President Biden, for the most part, has only discussed 10,000 in student loan forgiveness. So that was another big criticism of that video: is why is he only doing 10,000? Why is he barely doing this at all? He should be doing more. So let's go ahead and just take a quick dive into this issue and really see what I think about it or some of the facts on either side and um, and get moving in here. Starting with the issue, I'm, I just want to cover some of the main talking points that you hear when you hear about people talking about student loan forgiveness versus not. So of course, one of the big things you hear is that student loans are unfair or predatory. So we'll be looking at that. We hear a lot about the student loans or the current state of it, how it's uh, negatively affecting the economy. And we'll look at that as well. Uh, I, I also saw the statistic, it was from a few years back, that student loans are the second biggest US debt right behind, I believe it was mortgages. And that's for your average uh, family. And a big thing that you see a lot is, yeah, maybe your grandparents could have made it through college without student loan debt, but that's no longer possible, according to them. And we'll take a look at why that is. And then, of course, on the other side, you have the talking points of why are we giving this handout to people, college grads who have the largest in, uh, earning potential, uh, things like you signed up for the loan, so now it's your turn to pay it back. Uh, and uh, the other main argument is you're taking money from those with the lesser earning potential to pay for those college degrees of uh, the additional. So getting into some of those talking points, or before I should say we get into those, is I'd really like to just take a look at the issue. So one of the things I wanted to show here is this is the historical total national student loan debt balance. So you'll see here it starts in 2003. You might be able, not be able to see, but this chart does end all the way in 2021. You'll see here as it goes all the way up to $1.7 trillion. So yes, that is quite a lot of money in national student loans. And so looking at that number, you're like, wow, that's a lot of money that people are taking out. Uh, Another factor or another stat I saw thrown around on some of the sites that were really advocating for this is that it's been growing six times faster than the economy. One caveat I did want to say here in this is really what the video I was doing and a lot of what I'm referring to was talking about federal student loans. The stat I found for that or the, the latest stat was about 1.57 trillion of that 1.7 was federal student loans. The vast majority of these are federal student loans. And the proposal here was again, let's just wave our hand and make that go away. Uh, with that, so talking a little bit about some of the averages, uh, so 45.3 million student borrowers are in debt um, by an average of $30,691 each is the stat I found. 
Um, and then there are 42.9 million Americans with federal student loan debt, uh, each owe about $36,510 uh, for their federal loan. So that's quite a bit of money. And that's where I think you're seeing some of that 50000 figure coming in is uh, I think a lot of the Democrats are proposing to pay off the average debt here or a little bit above the average. Uh, one other thing. Uh, stat you see is 2.5 million borrowers owe on average uh, about $57,083 each private loans. So that's quite a bit more on average when it comes to private loans. So that's the that's the problem here. So what's the big deal? So a lot of people have debt. Uh, there's a lot of other debts that you can see. Of course, many of you may be have credit card debt uh, oftentimes that feels predatory that feels uh, very harsh so what's what's the difference here what's the default rates what's going on uh, one of the big arguments here is that federal student loans or student loans in general are very hard to pay off they put undue hardship on people one of the biggest talking points you see is that uh, you can't normally under bankruptcy laws you can't normally get uh, exempted from those student loans so those that are in really difficult situations can't even get those removed uh, what we are seeing here is some of the stats I found on the website uh, these websites are that 25 percent of borrowers default on their loan within the first five years of repayment so right within that first five years you're talking about that uh, moving on the in 2017 the default rate or the average default rate was 9.7 percent so that's nearly one in ten student uh, loan individuals are having to default on their loan or not being able to keep current with that. One in ten is a fairly significant number. Uh, one thing to note is that number has actually been slowly coming down over the last uh, three years. If you look at the chart, you see it kind of at a low part. It goes way up, uh, kind of up high, then it comes down, then it comes back up, and then we're, we're here kind of coming down. I think at the highest it was uh, quite near 50. Um, way back uh, way back when and we've been we've really come down from there and we're now down to 9.7 percent uh, default loan rate uh, as I mentioned under current laws you can't you can't have those removed in bankruptcy unless you go before a judge and you declare that they're deemed an undue hardship this really doesn't happen uh, a whole lot from what I was researching and the big thing that's saying is this 1.7 trillion dollars in debt it can have according to many of the arguments a drastic effect on the economy and that's really what they're arguing here is one they're predatory that they're an undue hardship for many people that even if you're uh even if yeah and that they're very difficult to pay pay back and uh what they've found is they're hard on the economy that that debt uh that debt is that uh individuals with student loans are 11 percent less likely to start a business was one of the stats I uh, saw thrown around. So that's fewer businesses getting started up to help the economy. Uh, another thing that you saw is uh, among student loan borrowers, 43% have delayed home ownership due to their debt. I saw a few comments on there where people were talking about forgiveness. Yeah, if they forgave that, I'd be able to put that down payment or I'd be able to buy a house for sure. And buying the house is one of the key things to building wealth for the average American. So what we are seeing here is home ownership rates are being affected by those long-standing student loans that people are having uh, difficulty paying off. And then, of course, the argument is it's suppressing consumer spending, because if you had that, all that money back in your pocket, you'd be spending it and putting it into the economy. Uh, another thing to note is from the studies I did see, it does disproportionately affect minorities. So uh, there are more minorities that are uh, being impacted by the by these uh, statistics so that is one thing to keep in mind so as we hear that you do I think many people can see that that is an issue that's a very large amount of money that 1.7 trillion dollars um, but some of the counter arguments that you'll hear is college grads make more money they sh they're the ones that should be paying it back why are we taking the money from everybody or in this case the taxpayer to pay back these people that have an education that should be making more money. So I looked into that a little bit. Uh, Georgetown University did a study. They did find that uh, on average, college graduates earn $1 million more uh, over their lifetime. So they're earning significantly more on average. 
another study that I saw, but this one was done by Pew Research, found that, uh, that there was an income disparity or gap between high school and college graduates of about $17,500 a year. So again, that's, that's quite a bit of extra money on average if you have that college degree that is going to be in your pocket. So what I would say is there's some truth to that or there is a lot of truth to that. Those that have the college degrees do have a higher earnings potential. And I think what we are seeing is, is, as I pointed out earlier, a lot of those defaults on the loan are in that first five periods where, and here we're talking about earnings over your lifetime, or um, it's really, it's being balanced out that they're earning later on in life, when after they're paying that back or as they pay that back and get experience. Another thing that's interesting to note is uh, they talk about all the student loan debt and that having a detriment to the economy. Looking into the counter arguments, one prevailing one I, I found was uh, college graduates is also good for the economy. So having highly skilled labor in the U.S. is widely accepted as a good thing. It's a good thing for the economy. It provides skilled, knowledgeable workers and is a boost. So it's important as we're talking about there are downsides to the economy. There's also good things to the economy about these student work or these uh, highly educated workers coming into the workforce, making more money and overall being more productive uh, when it comes uh, to America. Another interesting fact that I found as well, uh, moving on, is uh, is you're also you're also less likely to be unemployed. Um, but one thing that I wanted to point out is uh, these unemployment levels by education. So unemployment for those uh, that have less than high school on average is about twelve percent. As you move up higher education you see a decrease in in unemployment rate so once you have an ice high school education you're at about nine percent once you have some college it drops down to six percent associates degree are down to five percent unemployment uh, rates and a bachelor's degree puts you down to nearly three percent unemployment and graduate degrees move you into two point uh two percent now all of this data is coming from the u.s uh census in 2016 it's a wee bit older so if unemployment rates don't match up perfectly with what you're saying just keep that in mind there but so again what we are seeing is we're we're really seeing that these college graduates that have this debt are more likely to make more money and they're less likely to be unemployed um, which is both good things or there are definitely some benefits so when you're talking about these are the individuals that on average should be making more money. They are having that. There is some truth to that statement. Um, another thing that I was looking at, because once we start talking about this and are these student loans too high or the cost of tuition too high, uh, things like that, what we got to start looking at is, is it really a return on investment? So you're sitting here, you're taking out a large loan or investing in yourself. Is it worth it? on average. And when I looked and I, I tried to find different stats for this, it's very difficult to measure the actual return on it, on investment here. But for the most part, what I found is uh, stats between 4% and 14 So again, we're talking averages here. Um, on average, these people that are, these individuals that are going into debt are actually seeing a return on investment. So in the long run, on average, those that are straddled with the student debt are seeing a benefit from it uh, that's not saying it isn't a hardship that's not saying that it's not a long period of hardship and I, again I'm not saying that it's not uh, necessarily a predatory practice um, but what I am seeing is that these are individuals that are more likely to pay it off but what you're seeing is these are averages which means there are people that are affected differently so this is not the case for everyone uh, the return on investment varies drastically when it comes to the, the college you attend, the degree program you do. Uh, another thing that's interesting is these loan defaults are actually decreasing for the last three years, as I mentioned earlier. So when people talk about the student let, uh, loan crisis and they're talking about it and often they what they're indicating and when they show charts like similar to what I did where the total student loan debt is just going up and up and up, what you're also seeing currently at least for the last several years 
is you're seeing the default rate or those that aren't able to pay that loan back, you're seeing it actually come down. So you might argue that it is a hardship, but I'm not seeing this becoming more and more uh, difficult for people not to default on that loan. What I'm trying to say here in this counter argument is it seems to me like there is some merit into what some people are saying. These are people that are more likely to be able to pay this off. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting thing to note there. Um, moving on, uh, the biggest thing that I see here is uh, we're talking about the return on investment of the college. And I think that's what a lot of, a lot of these analysis are missing. Some of them are bring this up and kind of touch around this, but the big thing we are talking about in this case is we should be talking about are people getting value for this money? Or is this student loan money just giving them something that they can't pay back? And that's really the issue here. It's when you're straddled with this terrible debt, you can't get rid of it in bankruptcy, and it's not providing you a value, and you can't get out of that crushing debt. That's a terrible thing. And what we've found is, that, or what I found in my research, I should say, is it, it really just depends on, again, that return on investment and if you're seeing it. Uh, one of the main concerns, uh, or one of the concerns that around this area, I should say, are kind of twofold. And they, what I'm seeing is in a lot of these videos, people that uh, are talking about paying off student loans or the student loan forgiveness, they really normally refer to two root causes for this issue. Uh, one big uh, cause that you'll see is the increase in tuition. Uh, so it's it's fairly it's fairly common knowledge here and i brought this up on the screen if you're watching on youtube if not i'll kind of walk you through the numbers it's common knowledge a lot of people talk about the the drastic increase in uh, college tuition and fees uh when i was looking at these numbers a lot of people in, or a lot of them just talked about uh costs of tuition only um but there are other fees and we're talking about room and board here and I found this nice chart. It's adjusted for inflation, so this is all in 2021 dollars. You'll see here in the data starts here in 1963 to 64, and for a public four-year university, what you're seeing is about eight thousand dollars per year. Is, is what the is what the tuitions and the fees total up to. And then you go here, it moves on to about 82. And after 82, it starts spiking quite a bit up and it's moving up until, in this case, about 2015, 2016, it, it's over double what it started. So just in those, that short period there, a couple decades, we're now at 21,230 on average for tuition and fees. And then you see it move up here in 2020 to 21,400, just slightly. So there, and with the public four-year, you're seeing quite, quite a large increase. And what I found there is, well, we'll, we'll get into that in a second here. Uh, and then the, the steepest curve that you're seeing in this chart is for the private four-year universities. So those already start off expensive here in that same 1963-64 period at $15,455 per year. And that... That kind of level that goes up, but levels out until 82 again, and then this is where you see it shoot up much higher than the public universities, and it moves on in 2010 to nearly forty thousand dollars, and in 2020, 2021, we're up to forty-six thousand four hundred forty-eight dollars for tuition, fees, room, and board in 2021 dollars. Uh, so that's a very, very drastic increase, uh, quite a bit over doubling of tuition. Uh, and this is really the big thing that people are talking about is what's going on here is this tuition has just gone through the roof. It's gone so high. And what this is requiring is for people to borrow larger amounts of money. And that's why you see on that chart, the total student uh, loan is just skyrocketing and it's building and building until it hit that $1.7 trillion amount. So tuition definitely definitely uh, a factor that we're talking about here um so the other cause or the other cause or root cause that a lot of people seem to agree on 
uh, or at least the people that are arguing for the forgiveness is one of the issues is what are called they call predatory colleges or colleges that focus solely on enrollment and not necessarily results uh, normally what they're talking about is public or not public excuse me with a private for-profit universities and what happens with these universities is they focus very highly on enrollment they get lots of people there and they focus on keeping them there graduating there but not necessarily providing an education that actually provides a value for the individual that got the degree and you can clearly see that this is uh, this is quite a bit of an issue when you look at those default rates on the loans that I was uh, that I was referring to earlier so from the the numbers I found the default rate is 9.6% for public institutions it's 6.6 .6 for private not-for-profit institutions and 15.2% for profit institutions. So that's fairly, actually that's very significant. It's a very high rate on average for, uh, uh, for the private for-profit institutions. Again, the, the whole goal of these institutions, these are the ones with the highest tuition rates on average, um, is to get people in. They're really trying to get people in, but they're not necessarily... Uh, it depends you can look at their return on investment but for a lot of them they're not providing that value they need to when 14 or excuse me 15 percent of the individuals can't pay their loans afterwards your education may not be worth it and what this means with this increasing costs of of tuition is more and more college students are worried about if their school is providing value for them uh, last I saw or the survey I saw put it that over 50% of college students were worried about if their education was actually a value for the money they So with that you can see these these steep rises in tuition costs I wanted to talk a little bit about that because there's a lot of debate on where that comes from Because these steep costs in tuition uh, especially in the public sector or excuse me I keep saying public what I mean to say is the private for-profit profit sector um, there's some argument about what's causing that but I've seen several studies that I was able to find that either directly or indirectly linked the the tuition rates to federal student aid program uh, some of the studies were as much as 65 uh, cents on the dollar uh, now this is hotly contested there's different research on if that li direct linkage between the availability of of loaning money and the tuition rates applies across the board including to public uh, universities but what I did see is it's there's a quite strong correlation for those private for-profit institutions uh, the what the the theory here is is when you give the students more access to, to money in this case to loan it allows these for-profit institutions to jack up their rates because the students can still uh, and still borrow that money and, and still have access to the education and it's not necessarily affecting their enrollment rate so they're getting more money the students have access to more money and they're pulling it from that I will say that uh, that there is quite a bit of evidence that this applies to those um, those private for-profit universities and there are several studies that have shown a, a correlation even for public universities uh, many people have compared this this crisis to the housing bubble what you've seen is what what you see is the houses uh many people cause uh say the cause for that was the government stepping in and insuring loans and making sure that individuals that may not have qualified before make sure that they have access to the money to buy houses and more and more people bought houses but not everyone could afford those houses and what it ended up doing is driving up the costs or inflating the cost of houses and eventually that bubble crashed many of us are familiar with this I would say that's not a perfect analogy in this case especially because the evidence is a little bit less or a lot less for this that theory applying to those public institutions but what you can see here is that is the possibility that 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 student funding is potentially one of the causes of the tuition rates so again two main causes that that most people attribute to this uh, to the, the crisis one is the drastic increase in tuition costs and 
us. Um, and second is those predatory colleges that are focusing on enrollment. Primarily what those are targeting is those for-profit institutions. So now that we've covered a little bit of the statistics, and by no means are these all the statistics, I'd encourage you to look into these more. Uh, will student loan, uh, loan repayment or forgiveness, I should say, in this case, fits, fix the issue? I'm having a hard time understanding how it fixed the actual underlying uh, root cause of the issue. What I see is a standalone executive order to wipe the student debt to me does absolutely nothing to actually actually fix the root cause of this issue. Um, so all you're going to do is pay off all of these loans and what's going to happen is none of the underlying factors are any different. So in this case we would spend that 1.5 trillion dollars again that's uh, give or take that's about what the federal uh, student student loan uh, amount is. We would we would dump that money we that would very much likely go into the economy we probably would see some students start to buy uh, some of those students some of those that were in debt start to uh, buy houses potentially start businesses perhaps 11% uh, more businesses uh, for those individuals and so you might see some economic relief there but if you don't fix that underlying cause it's likely that this is just gonna balloon up and happen again and I think that's where a lot of people uh, or a lot of conservatives or those on one side say well we haven't fixed the issue or even some on both sides can say if you don't fix the issue we're just gonna have to do this is this gonna be something we do every 10 years is this something we're gonna do every 20 years uh, another proposal I'm seeing that we'll get into is that uh, perhaps we'll just make college free for everybody uh, so the the big negative of this also of this just payoff is there is a big argument that this inflation anytime you dump a lot of money into the economy or just print money uh, there is the risk of inflation and again we're, we're not we're we may further create into that bubble if you buy into that bubble theory here for this so overall I don't see this having bipartisan support I don't really see it as fixing the issue and I think even a lot of people that are for student uh, loan forgiveness uh, would also admit that they'd like to pair it with with reform uh, and one of the one of the other things that I see talked about is well let's just make college free and then do this so everyone gets paid for college and in my mind that's also not fixing the underlying issue the underlying issue here is that we have tuition rates skyrocketing and we have colleges that are predatory and they aren't they aren't providing a value for the dollar and if we start just taking taxpayer money and making that free all we're really doing is subsidizing those programs that aren't being run well especially those for-profit colleges so what would I like to see because uh, I think we can all agree that this isn't a good thing we don't want a lot of people straddled down in debt we don't want a lot of people straddled down in debt where they can't rid of it we want those people opening businesses we want people increasing their wealth by buying houses so my opinion on this is this is insufficient on its own I, I don't think it's a smart idea to just to just hand out the money and just move on so perhaps you could win me over if you paired this with some reform what would I like to see to actually address some of these some of the root causes one, I do think we need to crack down more on the predatory, predatory, uh, predatory schools. Uh, I should say more than we do now. There is some, there are some rules in place already. For instance, from what I saw, if uh, I believe if your cohort or your default rate goes above thirty percent, you're no longer eligible for federal loans. So there is a cutoff there. You've seen this with some of the for-profit. Uh, institutions they've come under fire uh, there's been some threat of them losing accreditation things like that there are some tools to do that I'd like to see a little bit more of that um, the libertarian in me doesn't want to call for regulation here but I absolutely understand that regulation might be necessary in this case what I would really love to see and I think this pressure should come from a lot of politicians it should have come mostly from students from parents everybody interested in uh in college universities i really think 
schools. We need to start having more and more schools publish their graduation rates. You can normally find that information. I'd like to see their default rates. You can sometimes find that information and their employment rates specifically for their, for their degree program. That's one thing that as I was looking for schools, as I was looking especially to move into my graduate program, I was very interested in finding. And I was amazed by how many schools did not do a simple thing as, as uh, basically show the average or even some of the statistics about what kind of salary increases their students got. I would love to see some pressure for more and more schools to start including this. This was something that was very valuable when I was researching because you could look and you could see some of the statistics you could see how likely were you uh, one of the one of the graduate programs I was looking into it was very very well regarded uh, it had actually a lot of this information put on the on the site uh, but the cost of living in the area was really really bad it was uh, it was a place where if I went there I likely wouldn't be able to um, work full-time and make good money as well as attending the program especially during the first year and it was something that I saw I was gonna have to get in a very very large amount of debt to do uh, looking at it the the rates or the benefits of their graduates was very good so I had to make that that trade-off is that a risk I am willing to take am I willing to take the risk of going hundred thousand dollars in debt or more uh, for that type of benefit in the end for me I I was a uh, it was too much of a risk for uh, me as an individual with a family, uh, the primary, uh, the really the primary person that, that works in the family, uh, just wasn't a risk I wanted to take. So I found another program. I found one that was a little bit more budget-minded, something that I could work and do at the same time uh, to really keep those costs low. Uh, but circling back, I really want to see that type of information on more and more schools and I'd love to see that pressure come really from parents from students from a lot of that is to start asking these schools are you surveying this data what is this data showing for you and really do it because if you're not doing it it's hard to make that decision that to do overall there's also some more in my opinion root causes to this issue because what I'm seeing here is people either not asking for this information or people not taking this information and actually making what I would consider a smart decision on whether or not it's worth it. So you see these predatory colleges that we talked about with their high default rate uh, degrees that often um, are seen as not providing the value that they need or value to their to individuals and you're still still seeing people falling into that enrollment trap and enrolling and kind of buying into that without any of the data. I will say you can go and there are lists online of the ROI for many, many top schools. You can go there and you can find your school and see what the average ROI, but people either aren't doing this. Um, so I think there's a big, a big education component. I do think we need to teach our kids that they should be looking at the ROI of their colleges. They need to, we need to teach them that they should look at employment statistics. Uh, there are many things where you, there are many resources where you can go on. I believe this, uh, when I was in undergrad, this is something that was covered in undergrad. Um, early on, I believe it was, where they talked about going to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And, you know, when you're selecting career fields, it talked about the job outlook, about what kind of education was required and things like that. I'd love to see that incorporated into your children. Um, either through schooling or through uh, people as parents, uh, teaching their kids to really look into that and to see that, one, not all degrees are equal. So some degrees may not have the same ROI, and you have to be okay with that. Uh, you have to understand that, one, the total cost of your degree, including the, the housing and the different fees there, and just see, is that a risk you're willing to take, and can you pay it off? So in my mind, that's an important thing. Uh, and another thing that I'm seeing is, uh, in my opinion, again, this is the opinion section of mine, is another root cause is society puts way too much value college education. Don't get me wrong. I highly value a college education. I think it's a good thing. I think it, it does help 
uh, expand your knowledge. It helps uh, introduce you to people from all kinds of different walks of life. It's a great learning and growing opportunity, and I think it's a good thing. And as I mentioned before, there are solid arguments for having a higher skilled workforce is great for the economy as well. But what I see is a lot of parents just push so hard that you have to go to college. To you have to go to college. College is so important. And you see this in society. You see this in uh, many of the jobs. They require that college degree, even though most likely a non-college graduate could do it just uh, And with this, I am seeing a little bit of change in society. I think they were talking about Elon Musk hiring individuals without college degrees are starting to look more at the skills people have rather than what they have on paper. So I think some of that would fix that is a little bit less pressure on individuals that they have to go to college, even if they don't know what they want to do, where they want to go. It's hard to make a good decision uh, on the degree program you, you can do and if it's worth it, if you have no idea where you're going at the end. I'm not saying people shouldn't go to college, but what I am saying is they need to make, be able to make that decision. And there are many other ways that you can provide value to society and still make a good living. Uh, trades are one that are that are very good. Uh, I mentioned before on this, I used to be a heavy equipment mechanic and welder. I believe I mentioned that before. I made good money doing that. It was hard on my body. It wasn't something that I wanted to continue doing. Uh, so I went to school. But that is something that I made good money doing and it provided for me a path to where I could go to school. So again, I'm not saying that college educations aren't a good thing. What I am saying is I think we need some education and perhaps society should, should shift a little bit to place a little bit less emphasis on it and not really drive people into. There's this drive that you have to go to college to be worth something. I think that's what's driving a lot of people into these predatory schools because they're buying into that. I have to have this degree to be worthwhile. And they're really just doing whatever they can to get in. Um, so overall, my thoughts are, one, I would like to see for federal student dollars for schools to have to prove their value uh, a little bit more. I'd like to have to, for them to show their statistics their, and that basically they're providing a good value for their education. Uh, I would really like to see that. And then what I want to see is for those schools that aren't providing that good value, I want to see them suffer. I want to see those schools that aren't providing good value. I want people to go on there and realize they're not a good value and not enroll in schools. I want that information to be available to them. And I want that feedback to get to the school. So that's kind of my opinion on that one. I really think that we should solve some of these issues here before we start uh, handing out money that could cause inflation or paying taxpayer dollars into a really ineffective program. Uh, once that I see a solid plan to fix these actual underlying root cause issues, in my mind, that's when I would be a little bit more open to look into some type of student loan forgiveness. And even then, if we're going to start the loan forgiveness or different things or spend money on some of those social things, um, are college graduates the one we should be doing on? I don't know. Uh, I think there would be some selection criteria we'd have to go to. Because again, we're, we're giving money. In this case, Democrats are proposing we give, essentially, we forgive $50,000 in student loans for every individual. And again, these are the individuals that over their lifetime are going to make $1 million more on average than a non-college graduate. Uh, I would like to see student loan be, uh, I would like to see that be bankruptable, if that's a word. Uh, I would like to see that. People going through bankruptcy, they don't need that harsh burden of their student loan. Um, in my mind, some of those things I think would be uh, some of the solutions. And then uh, I think we should encourage people and encourage those opportunities, some of those loan repayment programs where they could take, uh, where we could work with them a lot better and uh, work on repaying those and forgiving some of it. Uh, so that's my overall opinion. I, I hope that. You're able to see a little bit that there are two sides to this equation. When we talk about when we talk about that comet where, you know, have the power to remove to remove a massive heartache from people, why wouldn't you do it? And the answer here I hope is a little bit clear that that one just that money, that one point five million dollars of federal loan, one 
yeah, it might help the economy a little bit, but it also could spur inflation. And two, it has to come from somewhere. It does. It has to come from somewhere. Either we're going to print more money, which again could spur inflation, or we're going to have to increase taxes. I think some of the proposals uh, are talking about increasing taxes on the wealthy. Uh, that might be a topic for a different time, but we are going to have to take taxes uh, to pay for people that really are, on average, getting a good return on their investment for those, uh, for those debts. So my mind is, uh, perhaps there's a better way to spend that money. Uh, reasonable people, I think, could absolutely disagree on this issue. If there's something I neglected to consider, I would encourage you to leave a comment, or if you go to the Anchor site, there's a message button. Feel free to message me and be happy to discuss it a little bit, um, perhaps on the next podcast. So moving right along, one of the other things that I wanted to cover was the Texas power outages. Uh, so these power outages, as many of you may know, there's a, there's a really big cold spell that's going out and it's affecting many of kind of the central U.S. Uh, and most especially Texas. There are millions without power as we speak uh, and serious, serious power infrastructure. And I saw uh, kind of all around some, some claims here or some different things that I thought were concerning, especially because I don't really want to politicize a disaster like this. There are people without power, without heat, uh, and without transportation, without ways to get around. It's, it's a terrible thing. This isn't just happening in Texas, but Texas has primarily been in the news. And then we see things like this. Uh, let's see, I'm gonna go see if I can find this here. I believe this is image that I saw. This was posted on my Facebook feed. Many of you have probably seen this. This is not uh, the first time that this, this that this is uh has gone through. I think it was 2015, maybe 2016 when this uh, variations this went. You see here this caption: a helicopter running on fossil fuel, spraying a chemical made from fossil fuels onto a wind turbine made with fossil fuels during an ice storm is awesome. There's some variations of that, and the why this is coming back up again is many many people, uh, especially on the conservative side are blaming wind power uh, for this for this uh, loss of for the loss of power and what they're saying is we've learned lessons from this renewable energy renewable energy is causing this uh, different things like that so what I wanted to do is take a little bit of time and investigate some of those claims uh, so with that with that I wanted to say so some of the facts uh, Yes, some wind power was lost, and uh, many, many sources, what I'm saying, and many of these uh, fact checks, which we'll get into, are saying, yeah, but windmills were lost, but that's not the primary primary uh, reason for this issue. And we'll get into that a little bit. About 23% of uh, Texas energy is wind turbines. Uh, there was quite a bit of power lost uh, all over, and there are... One thing that's interesting is I was trying to pull some hard facts for this. Uh, and for all of these fact checks that I was finding that uh, we'll go over quite a few of them before, uh, it was interesting and very hard to pull actual facts about this. So overall what I found is if you look up uh, you know, wind turbines causing the Texas thing, you come up with all the fact checks and they say, no, it's not a cause. No, it's not a cause. And so let's go over some of that. and. What they, what they did do is these fact-checking articles, many of them say this is the percent or this is about how much of, this is about how much of the power loss is from uh, wind and this is how much from other sources, primarily natural gas. So let's go ahead and take a look at some of that and I'm going to pull up one here. Ah, here we go. So here's one of the first ones that we see. So the state's uh, grid operator, this is straight from a PolitiFact article. Again, one of these fact-checking articles uh, said on February 15th, about 34 gigawatts of power was offline and only four gigawatts was due to problems with turbines. Uh, check my math here, but I think that's about 12%, give or take rounded, of the problems are with wind turbines, uh, according to this article. So. Uh, great, absolutely, that sounds good. 
Uh, now, some of these discrepancies and facts, but uh, oh, one thing I did want to mention is that February 15 link, we'll go over it later. Nowhere in there does it say that four gigawatts was due to problems with wind turbines, and I was unable to, f to corroborate that fact. It was reported in several different articles. I have no idea where that came from other than that link uh, goes to the main company that runs the power in Texas, uh, and it did not mention that number. Uh, so I can only assume they have pulled it from somewhere else, um, but I have absolutely no idea where. So moving on, another one. This one was from Fox. This was a little bit less of a, 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 a fact check, Fox business, I should say. But what this one said here is uh, that the ERC, uh, ERCOT, I'll say, the Electric Rel Reliability Council of Texas, that's the company that runs the majority of theirs, told the American, Austin American statesman that about 12 megawatts of Texas uh, wind generation capacity was hampered due to frozen wind turbines. Um, and they did say that some of the unfrozen ones were spinning at a higher rate than, a, uh, than expected. That, that claim, I saw that several times where basically some of them were running better than expected. Uh, and again, I followed the link and it just gave me that, that somebody said 12 megawatts. If you take that one later on in the article, they put uh, 30, that, that it was 12 of the 30 overall, which is about 40% of the power here in this case. So that one was interesting. That's Fox Business. That article, again, was a little bit less of a fact check and was focusing more on the turbines and just uh, the actual facts behind that one. It was interesting. Um, not my favorite article. Uh, so moving on, there was uh, CBS. So uh, the CBS site here, again, this article here uh, that says, don't blame wind, time, uh, wind turbines for Texas historic power outages uh so here we got going on uh here's what they're saying is 16 megawatts were from wind turbines so here we're we're increasing up now again these are different days so it's quite likely these numbers could fluctuate um but we got 16 of 4500 so i believe that is about 16 percent of overall energy oh here we have 16 percent of it uh, moving on to another one. This is the Texas Tribune. This one said gives the same numbers, which is good because it's uh, talking about that. I couldn't find those numbers, um, but it said 16 to 30. So again, we're talking about a fairly low percentage of it from winds. And but then it moves on. But on Wednesday, 18 gigawatts um, out of 45 that were offline were from. In this case, it said renewable sources. The wind turbines and uh, and uh, others and we'll get into this this is the only one that i was able to find on the actual company's website and find out what uh, a little bit more about what this meant and actually make sure or find the source for the fact uh for this fact check i should say um although they did not link the source or show the source um which to me isn't something that i like i i find it interesting that uh, we have all these fact check articles. They have facts in it, but you have no way of double checking the facts and they have different facts. And a lot of them that were linked just linked to other articles that said the same fact. Um, so because another company said this, they're copying the other company who's copying the other company. And it's just something that I'd really, really love to see actual a way to cooperate it myself with the company or wherever it came from from the survey any of that information you see that i try to do that a lot of times in this one not always um but i'd really really love to see that uh, especially when you're getting different numbers and this is called a fact check um so overall i found that uh, a little bit disturbing and hard to do because here what we're saying is we're saying 23 percent of texas energy uh it's uh, from what i found uh, for, is from wind turbines this point of year. So if we go by the four gigawatt number, that's only 12%. In this case, what you're seeing is um, it's disproportionate. So uh, in this case, what you're seeing is, yeah, a very small portion of this is from wind. And what all articles said is the vast, all articles said, no, it's not wind turbine. It's uh, natural gas and other ones. Because natural gas is also, um, uh, there's a shortage of national uh, natural gas. So a lot of the PowerPoints, uh, aren't having the natural gas they need to generate the energy. 
that is being demanded, all the excess energy. Um, so that's only 12%. So you're hearing say, oh, okay, so that's a pretty small percentage of the wind energy uh, that's being affected in theory. Uh, but then you go to the other one that's 12 gigawatts of 30, and that's 40%. Well, if only 23% of Texas's energy is from wind, and 40% of it, of the losses, is from wind, yeah, I think that's a big problem. Now, you can still make the claim that most of them were from gases, but what you can also say is in this case, or you can uh, say is perhaps wind energy isn't as good in that situation because the vast majority of the power that's lost is from, not the vast majority, but a higher percentage of it per, it's disproportionately from the wind energy, I should say. Um, so that was interesting, but then again, we go to 16 gigawatts, which is 16%, which is more in line with what you'd expect if it's, you know, even issues across the line as lots of people are talking or a lot more cash. And then again, that last figure was 18, uh, which turned out to be almost 40%, which again, that's um, more than you'd expect if wind energy wasn't to blame at all. Uh, so what I wanted to do here is, what does the company say? What are the actual, what's the actual company in charge of this saying is the issue? And, um, especially since a lot of these were citing that this is what they were saying. Um, so let's go ahead and get into that here. So I'm going to go ahead and take a look at the company announcements. Uh, so here are the actual company announcements. This is one of them that was linked to. Uh, this is the majority of the announcement. There was a little bit before, uh, before it, but here it says, we are dealing with higher than normal genera uh, generation outages due to frozen wind turbines and limited natural gas availability. So the first thing they list there is wind turbines and natural gas. So they are saying that there are frozen wind turbines. Uh, so when you see all these fact checks, no, it's not frozen wind turbines. Okay, well, the company's saying that. Now, you can still say that the majority of the power lost is from the other ones, but okay. Interesting. Uh, moving on again, I wasn't able to find, even though this was linked in one of them as the source, I wasn't able to find exactly what percentage of that was from was uh, from wind energy. So I'm going to have to assume those numbers I pulled uh, were correct that came from the article. Um, moving on, here's another one the next day that they said. Uh, again, they're saying, hey, we, we restored some of the lost power. Um, so what's the reason for it? While the grid operators were already contending with frozen wind times, uh, turbines and limited gas supplies, uh, additional uh, units were tripped offline and the weather worsened overnight. So again, we're seeing this. They're saying, yeah, and what wind turbines were a significant factor in this. So, okay, all right. If wind turbines were significant factors, let's look at the next day. Now there was no, they didn't have a public press release on the 16th, so I have to go from here. Um, and again, they're talking about more. Uh, some factors include frozen wind uh, turbines. This is uh, the, this is the largest day. This is uh, 46 megawatts of energy was, uh, was missing or not missing. It was an outage of that. Um, so some of the factors include frozen wind turbines, limited gas supplies, low gas pressure, and frozen instrumentation. So here they list uh, wind turbines. Again, one of the top ones. I hope what you're seeing here is uh, according to their information, they are listing wind turbines first. So it might be reasonable to assume that, okay, this is a significant factor. Um, perhaps some people didn't, uh, with, again, the information they're given here, they know almost nothing about the percentage in the other press ones um, here. Um, so here you're seeing uh, that going on. So moving on in this one, you will notice at the bottom, there was some numbers here. So this is the one for of the 46 megawatts, um, or gigawatts, I should say, 46 gigawatts uh, for stop the event, uh, 28 uh, megawatts or 28 gigawatts, excuse me, is thermal and 18 gigawatts is wind and solar. So here we can see that the, that high number, in this case, again, this is the last day that they had the information available. So some of those articles may not have this information available at the time. But here you're seeing the confirmation that it is 18 out of 46. So again, that's, that's running right at about 40% of the outages 
um, from their power system are coming from wind. It's a that's a very significant thing. Now again, they are, they said earlier in the article it's not only wind, but it's also these other things. So a small portion of their power supply. In this case, I, I think it said 23% or so. I actually think the number's 22.9, but 23% of their expected power, um, for nearly 40% of their losses is coming from that. So that's high. So what I'm saying here is I do think perhaps that the wind turbines are an issue. Uh, taking them at their word, perhaps it is. And you'll see here that is the number for the latest day. So a disproportionate amount of the energy losses came from that. Now what you might say here is uh, if you're if you're a, a smart individual is you'll say well that said it's wind and solar so that's probably throwing off the numbers and yeah you're correct that's a good observation I'm glad you pointed that out so what I wanted to do is look and see well how much of that is solar is that affecting a lot of it well here's how much of Texas's uh, power comes from solar 1.76 percent so really not much less than two percent so what i can assume here is that that 18 uh, gigawatt number very little of that is probably coming from solar uh, especially because they didn't even list it in their major lists of cause that i talked about earlier so overall what i'm trying to say here is those fact checkers the way they answered it is technically true the fact checkers said the majority of it isn't but what they also said is, don't blame the wind turbines. Well, in this case, wind turbines disproportionately were one of the cause. Again, they're 23, they're supposed to be 23% power, but they're causing about 40% of the outages, according to the information submitted from the actual power company. So I would encourage you to go in and to actually look and try to find some of these numbers and you'll see here that these fact checkers um while technically correct are perhaps um perhaps have an agenda because they're trying to protect this wind again i do want to point out or caveat some of this to say the largest numbers that i was able to or that i just showed you are from the latest number and that's after some of those articles were released but every single time the electric company mentioned that wind turbines having issues were one of the things. Now what you might say is, well that means renewable energy and wind energy is trash, or we shouldn't use that. And I'm seeing a lot of conservatives say that and use this as a time to dis on renewable energy or wind energy. And that's not what I'm saying here. What I want to say is, uh, I don't think either side is right. What I want to say is, wind energy or renewable energy does have some downsides and that's okay it's okay for different power options to have some pros and some cons uh, wind energy has some cons you have to wait for the wind to actually be blowing it's not consistent um, and another one here is if not properly insulated or properly protected it can be susceptible to cold weather and that's one of the big things here that you see talked about is yeah they're freezing up or they're having issues but there are wind turbines in other areas that more frequently get cold stuff that um, heating elements and ways to protect from in this case this is just unheard of temperatures for texas so they didn't they didn't pay for protection if you if you never or almost never have temperatures this low why would you pay millions and millions of dollars to protect all your wind turbines from temperatures this low i say millions i have no idea how much it costs but i imagine it's quite a bit so what they're saying is they didn't foresee this issue or they saw it as a very minor risk and that risk occurred and that is something that happens when you talk about business and evaluating risks you look at risks such as this so you look at the risk of this temperature being way crazy and it goes way below um, and you look at the cost of doing this and you see is it worth it versus um, versus uh, not buying it in this case they probably saw that it costs a very significant amount of money to upgrade it and the risks of this temperature causing this issue was almost nothing or very small i should say so what i'm saying is not that wind energy is bad or renewable energy is bad so if you're jumping on that one and trying to take that takeaway from me i would say hold on there are good things about wind energy there are good things about renewable energy uh, when we go back and we talk about that helicopter meme, 
uh, at the top, don't get your news from memes. I, I hope you all understand that. Uh, one that, from what I could tell, that picture, or from my research, that picture was taken a long time ago when they were doing some experiments on windmills, and it has nothing to do with how they prevent uh, windmills from freezing now. That's instead they use what I talked about before, basically like a carbon fiber and some heating elements and different ways to protect it. So they're not using that type of thing. And a meme like that gives you absolutely no facts. It doesn't say, oh, it says it's interesting that the fuel is used from here and this fuel and this fuel and this fuel. But it doesn't say, hey, how much is that windmill saving? Is it comparable? Are we actually using more than not? None of those facts is uh, none of those facts are in the meme. So again, don't get your news from memes. Try not to get your impressions from memes. Um, look them up, and you'll see that that meme or that kind of sentiment that's in that one has been debunked multiple times. Um, but again, also when you're looking at things and you're seeing some of these fact checks, um, sometimes it pays to fact check the fact checkers. Um, people can have biases, and in this case, it in it appears to me that they jumped very, very heavily to try to to try to save the reputation of wind energy and try to make it all about oh well it's the majority of natural gas. And while that's true, technically they didn't lie. I do think what we're seeing here is there are cases where wind energy isn't perfect. Uh, there are cases such as here where. Um, where a lot of an unexpected freeze come, you weren't prepared for it, you didn't pay for the uh, the ultimate package, the weatherization package, we could say, because you didn't expect to need it, and it might go down. And you may need to prepare from that for that. So in this case, in the contingency plan, there could have been a lot of things that was done. Uh, I believe that Texas thought that they could withstand something like this. Uh, one thing in my searches or some of this information taken from those same fact-checking articles, uh, one of the things that they were talking about frequently was that Texas doesn't keep a lot of reserve for their natural gas um, refineries. So what they know is they have a ton of it. They can easily get it. So what they do is they don't keep a ton in reserve. And what happened here is all the coldness slowed down their ability to extract that natural gas which affected their supply to their power station and because they didn't have a lot in reserve that's affecting a lot of that natural gas in addition to some of the instruments freezing and things whereas other states don't have that abundant and ready on hand source of natural gas so they uh, stock up a lot more or they have a stock to to uh, prepare for this uh, overall what i think the takeaway from this is, yeah, sometimes natural uh, natural energy does have some downsides, or renewable energy may have some downsides, and that's okay. The important thing is, are the downsides worse than the upsides? In this case, renewable energy, there are some upsides to it. Um, don't just jump to conclusion because in this case, they had issues. There was also issues with national natural gas. There are also reported issues nuclear there are issues with every other type of energy there are pros and cons to each one and not all of them withstood withstood the the uh this cold snap so i i hope you really enjoyed kind of that analysis or the breakdown especially that kind of fact checking the fact checkers uh i do encourage people when you see things dig into those numbers if somebody claims something see where the sources are coming from uh, one thing to watch out for is these fact checkers or these websites that quote websites that quote websites that quote other websites and you can never find the actual numbers. Um, that concerns me and uh, in my mind that's a bit of lazy journalism. Uh, that's something that I was doing some research for a project, a graduate project once and I kept coming on this this great number that really fit my case and it's the case I wanted. And me and some other team members, we dug into that number and we dug into it and we tried to find the origin of that number, even though it was repeated absolutely everywhere as fact. We never found the source of that number or that percentage. Uh, I believe the number was, it was some obscene amount of money that was wasted and ineffective. Uh, if you Google it, I'm sure you'll find it. And we couldn't find it. We. I think eventually someone traced it back to it was in a random book where the person claimed it and also didn't cite where that came from. It was somebody said it in a book and we could never find out where it came from. 
So I would just encourage you when you're looking at news sources, even main ones, to have a skeptical mind and try to track it down yourself. Uh, try to see where information is coming from, uh, especially when you're seeing different numbers. In this case, I think likely these numbers were correct. Likely the numbers were just uh, perhaps they reached out to the spokesman and they got those numbers for the day from them. Uh, just say, hey, according to them, and in the one case, link to an article that didn't even have those numbers. Um, if that's the case, say it. Tell me where you got it. Say I contacted the spokesman uh, or something like that. Uh, so just, I really would encourage people to be skeptical of some of the news articles. Watch out for that. Um, and again, don't jump on the memes. Look into them. If it sounds a little bit crazy, or if things just don't make sense, one of the versions of that meme is, you know, like, oh, like something about like common sense isn't common or something like that. Um, if you see something that doesn't make sense, look into it. Overall, that's my episode for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, feel free to uh, comment. Feel free to go to the Anchor podcast site and use the message button there to send me a message. Let me know what you uh, want to do. There are plenty of other topics that I plan on covering. Uh, some other things that I'll likely be covering in the future are topics such as immigration, looking at uh, both sides of that issue. I did a little research already before this, thinking that I was going to might cover some now, and boy, did I find some interesting stuff where both sides kind of use their own terminology and try to manipulate studies and different things to prove their point and to prove that they're right. So it was a quite interesting uh, dipping of my toes into that one. I will say that'll take me some time to unravel, but I do hope to get to that uh, in the future, and I suspect I likely will. But thank you, everyone. See you next week.